Our scripture reading today is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The word of the Lord. This summer, we've been looking at, we've finished a couple series, one on anger, and just finished a series on love, and now we turn to the biblical concept of peace. What does the Bible have to say about peace? Um, and three areas of peace that we want to look at, what, what does it mean to have peace with God? What does it mean to find peace with ourselves? And then what does it mean to find peace with others? Finding peace with God, with ourselves, and with others, we'll look at for the next three weeks beginning today. So what is peace? It is um, a biblical concept that is complex. It's deep. It's wide. Uh, it's a little bit trying to describe peace as like um, going on an incredible vacation to a new country you've never seen before and being asked when you come back to describe the whole experience in one word. In the Old Testament, we see the word shalom, in the New Testament, we find the Greek word irene, and both of these have an understanding, a connotation of peace. But truly, probably the best definition of shalom, as we see it in the Old Testament, is more like flourishing. Things working the way that they're supposed to be. Cornelius Plantinga says it like this in the, in the Bible. He says, in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. To experience shalom as a society or a country is, is not simply a, a lack of war, but it's trading resources and protecting each other. It's working together to benefit both countries. Think of 9-11, what a shock it was to all of us. Not only because it made us um, feel vulnerable to attack, but it threatened our very shalom, our psychological peace, our sense of safety from terrorists from outside attackers. So in the New Testament, then, the word for peace, again, is irene. It's, uh, again, it's a state of, of national tranquility, of exemption from rage and the havoc of war, peace and harmony between individuals. It's security, it's safety, it's prosperity. And the Old Testament prophets spoke of the peace that would be brought by a Messiah, the New Testament talks about the way that leads to peace, to salvation. For Christians, it is the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot. Peace is things working together the way they should. Think of a car engine, right? How complex is a car engine with its thousands of parts? And if one part breaks, the rest of the engine breaks down. So now we come to this passage in Colossians on peace. And I want to look first at how peace was lost. 
Like what went wrong? We know that things are not the way they're supposed to be. But how did we end up here with things like COVID and many other things that are taking place in the world today that we know just are not the way they're supposed to be? Many of us are not able to find peace because we don't understand what went wrong in the first place. And so as we consider this idea of finding peace with God, we want to look at two things today. We want to look at the breakdown of shalom, how it was lost, and we want to look at how to get it back. In particular, I want you to see that you and I will never find peace in this world, either with ourselves or with other people, until we find peace with God. So how is this peace lost, and how might our peace with God be restored? I want you to think for a moment of a relatively young married couple. Maybe they're five or six years into their marriage, and uh, they've got a couple children, and they're starting to realize at this point in the marriage that it is not what they expected. It's not what they hoped for. As they think back to when they took their vows They looked into each other's eyes and they said, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, they promised to stick it out and to be faithful to each other. In saying these vows, they had entrusted themselves to each other. They had placed their hearts and their future hopes and dreams in the hands of another person, a scary thing to do. Trusting another person to provide for them, to care for them. And as time progresses, as the stress of life, as the stress of work and children continues to to play itself out, as they realize that some of the flaws and the sins that they experienced with their partner earlier on in the marriage have only gotten worse, the husband goes on a, a high school reunion and gets to reconnect with an old friend, an old Flame, a girl that he was interested in in high school. And because of the state of affairs at home and because he's, he feels as though he's, he's um, not finding love at home, he begins to talk to this old friend from high school and begins to entertain the idea of striking up a relationship. And they exchange information and begin to have uh, interactions online and begin to Um, go deeper and deeper in their connection with each other and he finds himself in the arms of another and eventually the wife of course finds out she finds a receipt or uh, some paper trail or an email and she is heartbroken that trust has been lost he has found what he's looking for in the arms of another And I want you to see, as you look at the Old Testament, as we think about where everything went wrong, look, for example, at Isaiah chapter 57. God is angry with his people because they have run off with another God. They have fallen in love with idols that represent other powers and other deities, and it's caused them to do terrible things like sacrificing their own children in the worship of a God called Molech. And God, in this passage, equates idolatry to adultery. To go after these idols is to be an adulterer, to turn to someone or something else to find comfort and hope and love and security. This is what happens. This is how we lose peace with God. 
when we turn to another, when we break the trust that we have in the covenant with our loving Father. Think of the shalom that took place in the garden as Adam and Eve walked in peace with God together in the garden. And they were tempted by Satan to to take a bite of that fruit, which really presented the the lie of autonomy, that they could do things their own way, that they could turn to another option in saving themselves. And one thing led to another, and by the next generation, as we look at the, the momentum of sin, as it builds upon itself, Cain killed Abel. This is what happens as sin grows in our lives and as we turn to another See, there are many areas of brokenness in our lives, right? There's, there's the breakdown of shalom when it comes to our physical bodies. When part of the body starts to fail, others are affected. Even the smallest part of the body can affect the rest of the body. Shalom breaks down interpersonally in the workplace. As we have difficult relationships, of course, it breaks down in politics and in our culture as a whole. We're seeing a breakdown of shalom. And the Bible says that we can have peace no matter what our circumstances. It calls it the peace of God which passes all understanding, as we'll take a look at next week. But you can never have the peace of God until we have peace with God. So we start today with looking at the peace, at having peace with God that in the coming weeks we might be able to go into the world with the peace of God. Our greatest need, whether we understand it or not, is first and foremost to find peace with God. In fact, the book of Romans says that the wrath of God is being stored up against mankind. Why? Because of our adultery. Because we deserve his anger, just like that unfaithful husband who cheats on his spouse. Our idolatry and our adultery have put us at war with God. In fact, Colossians 1, uh, the section just after our passage, says that um, you were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We were at war with God, deserving of his judgment. And this is truly our greatest problem. We will never find peace. We will never find rest, joy, or find ourselves flourishing in life until we are reconciled to God. We must find peace with God before we find shalom in the world. Now you may say, um, I'm a pretty good person. I try to obey God and keep his law. I don't feel as though I'm at war with him. Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, he comes and he has one of his first interactions with the scribes and the Pharisees. And Do you know how he describes them? He describes them as an evil and adulterous generation. That's what he has to say about the religious people, the people who are trying to obey God. And I always wondered why he called the the religious people adulterous. These were the ones who were trying to keep his law. When Jesus described them as adulterous, I have to imagine it went right over their heads. They had no clue what he was talking about. But listen carefully, what hurts God the most is not that we break his law, but that we break his heart. You see the difference? Many of us are trying to keep the rules to earn God's favor, but we don't actually love him. And in fact, we're keeping the rules not because we love him, but because we love and want to save ourselves on our own terms. And the Bible says that our good works are like filthy rags because we have turned to other things, to idols, to find love, 
and comfort and to try to find peace. Whether you are a good person or a sinner, we all fall short of God's glory and are desperately in need of a Savior. So this is where it all went wrong. Our idolatrous, adulterous hearts, as we turned to others, when we committed adultery and began to love other things more than God and shalom began to unravel, how do we get it back? How do we actually find peace with God? How do we restore the relationship? The Old Testament points to a Messiah who would bring about this shalom, this peace. And so we come to our passage today in Colossians 1. And we see one of the most beautiful expressions of what the peace of Christ actually is. Look with me at Colossians 1, 17 through 20. And he, meaning Christ, is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And you see this language of of all things holding together in Christ, that's shalom. That's things working together the way they should to bring about flourishing of of God, of, of humans, of creation. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All things hold together in Christ. In the Old Testament, the only way people could find peace with God for their sins was to sacrifice an animal. And it was something in the blood of that animal. They would confess their sins and it was as if their sins were transferred onto that animal. And what was happening as the animal was killed was God is saying, this is what you deserve because you are hostile toward me. And the only way for our relationship to be restored For us to have reconciliation is to be brought back together through the sacrifice of this animal. But this animal, taking the punishment you deserve, it was a bloody process, as you can imagine. Because sin is so ugly. And the breakdown of shalom is so messy. The momentum of sin is so massive that it took the sacrifice not of an animal but of God himself. Jesus entered the world and the focal point of history was when he died on the cross to take our place. So that for those who have put their faith in him, it's as if all those um, accolades, those, those medals that were pinned to his chest are now pinned to ours. They're transferred to us as our sin is transferred to him. You see, we first believe and then we are saved and then we obey. We believe, we say we're saved, and then we begin this lifelong journey of what the Bible calls sanctification, where we find joy in obeying our Heavenly Father. You see, there tend to be two ways that we look at salvation. Um, either it's earning his favor by being righteous, which we might call legalism. It's following the rules. It's being like that elder brother in the prodigal son story who refuses to go inside and celebrate the grace extended to his younger brother. Or it's ignoring him and trying to create our own little world of peace and comfort by breaking all the rules. By going after money, sex, and power, status, reputation, and comfort. And the Bible says that neither of these will actually bring about peace. Because they both put us at odds with God. They are both sin, according to the Bible. One is flat out disobeying the law, it's very obvious. 
But the other is obeying the law for selfish reasons, which ironically is disobeying the law. Think just as an illustration about how we relate to our own parents. You know, some of us are children who would have wanted to break the rules and be rebellious. The child who's tired of being told what to do. Others of us want to please our parents, want to make them proud of us by following the rules and living up to their expectations. But the problem is we can never live up to the expectations of perfect holiness. We don't even come close. We were sinful from the time we were born because of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Both of these ways of trying to earn God's favor or trying to earn our own salvation make us people who have a hostile mind. Hostility, of course, being the opposite of peace. Both are evil deeds. Both make us slaves to sin and selfishness. And both result in the breakdown of shalom, as we'll see in the coming weeks. And how we relate to and understand ourselves and other people. To God is not neutral to anyone. The Bible says that we are either his enemy or his friend. That we are either at war with him or our hearts, out of hearts of rebellion, or we are at peace with him as we experience his love for us. There is no middle ground. Just as in any marriage, you know that when you are at war, you also know when you are at peace. Things are rarely ever neutral as if the other person doesn't exist. We live in relation to each other. And you and I live in relation to God. But God has reconciled us to himself. He has restored the broken covenant of marriage through the blood of Christ on the cross. And this is the only way for us to have peace with God and to find peace out in the world. This is the good news of the gospel that has the power to redeem even the most broken situations. Again, back to this illustration of unfaithfulness, of divorce. I know many of you have experienced the pain of divorce. Maybe you're in the midst of it now and it seems hopeless, like you'll never be able to find peace again. But the hope of the gospel is big enough to redeem and to bring about shalom, even for those who carry the scars of divorce. It's the good news of the gospel. It's God's plan of redemption, of salvation for us, and of the restoration of peace of shalom. If you haven't chosen to follow Jesus yet, I want to invite you to consider um, what it is that he accomplished for us through his blood shed on the cross. I mean, how, how might it change your life to have peace with God? What are you missing out on if you don't have it? And if you are a follower of Christ, but you have not been experiencing the peace of God, I would urge you to look again at what we have in Christ to remember your wedding vows, as it were. My wife and I are about to celebrate our 10-year anniversary, and we can look back on those moments when it was difficult, when we were frustrated at each other's sin, but it's only by the grace of the gospel, the faithfulness of God in Christ, who extended grace to us that allows us to make good on our vows, to commit to each other, as God has done to us. So here's a picture of what it means to have shalom with God, and we'll end with this. If you take a look with me at Romans 5, 1 through 11, this beautiful passage talks about what it means to have peace with God through faith. Here's a litany of things that we have in Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we've been made right in the eyes of God through Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. It's the, it's the shalom, it's the peace that Christ brings that gives us access to our Heavenly Father. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have hope in the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Because of Christ, what he's done for us, we're the kind of people who can have joy even when we suffer, as we'll see next week. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and that endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. But God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We have the love of God poured into our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit in us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Part of the shalom that Christ brings, part of the peace that he brings is that we will be saved. We can be assured of the fact that we will be saved from the wrath of God because of what Christ has done for us. We were enemies, he reconciled us to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have been brought back into the good graces of the Father. He loves us as he loves his own son so that we might have joy in him. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for that sacrifice that you made for us on the cross, that you've reconciled us to the Father, that though we were ones who looked over the fence at what else we could find, that we were adulterous, that our hearts are so prone to run off in a different direction, to be unfaithful. God, you have welcomed us back. You have made a way for us to be reconciled to you, to enjoy the, the shalom, the peace of fellowship with you. And Lord, I pray for those who are believers but are struggling to find peace right now, that we would be reminded of the hope we have in the gospel and Lord, I pray for those who are not yet believers but are hearing this message of the gospel, who are wondering what it would look like to find shalom in Christ. Lord, I pray that they would find peace in you today. In your name I pray. Amen.